Welcome to Grace and Truth with Pastor Sherman Burkhead, a devotion that's meant to encourage you and challenge you to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Please subscribe to our podcast and check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. Hi there, this is Pastor Sherman Burkhead, and this is Grace and Truth, a devotion that's meant to encourage you and challenge you to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ through a time in the Word and through a time in prayer. Um, I just wanted to thank you so much for joining me today. It is July the 7th, 2021, and it is a very, very hot day outside today. It is um, it's a scorcher, and it's going to be like that all week. In fact, it's supposed to be up to 115 this uh, this coming Sunday. And um, I have to say that um, I am not, you know, grateful for this heat. But I'll tell you what I am grateful for. And as we always start off, grace and truth with gratitude. I am grateful for the fact that we live out here in the desert. That even though it's going to be super hot today. Finally, in the evening times, things begin to cool down, and if you have a good swamp cooler, usually the temperature gets down low enough to where you can get right to sleep, and uh, I am just, I'm grateful to God for that, because I have been in other places like Phoenix or um, Las Vegas, where it's still like 100 degrees at midnight, and it's just, it's just impossible to uh, to get any rest in a, in a time frame like that, but um, again, it's uh, super hot here in Boron, California, but um, we're grateful to God for all that he's done for us, and as Christians, I want to remind you. Um, the reason why we began Grace and Truth was to keep people connected to the Word of God and to one another, but also to remind people, even in difficult times, and even when things aren't going our way, we still have more than our share to be grateful for. So um, I'd really just like to uh, to ask you, what are you um, grateful to God for? Um, uh, you know, I would certainly love to hear from you. You can uh, reach out to me at fbcboron at gmail.com, or you can uh, call me at 760-762-5149, or you can leave a comment uh, on the uh, the Facebook or YouTube link here. I'd be happy to hear from you. I mean, I want to know what it is that, you know, that you were grateful to God for. Again, the whole point of the Christian life is to walk in gratitude before uh, before God. Uh, and so with that, I'd love to hear from you. And I would certainly love to hear from you, especially if you have questions about theology and faith. Uh, I also would love to hear from you if you'd like to know more about having a relationship with Jesus Christ. And uh, um, with that being said, um, <clears throat> um, I just want to also make you aware of today we're going to be in, um, uh, we're going to be jumping into uh 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 2. That's going to be our today's devotion. 1 Timothy uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 2. And uh, let's get right to it. 1 Timothy 4, I mean, uh, beginning in verse 1, it says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are, are seared. Um, what we need to realize here is the truth is this. One of the things that we under understand is that it, from the very beginning of the church, there has always been false teaching. The churches had always been, had to be aware of and push back against false teachers and false doctrines. In fact, if you just look at the New Testament, you see exactly what I'm talking about. And the, the whole book of Galatians was written uh, to uh, by the Apostle Paul to address the issue of uh of the Judaizers. This is a legalistic form of religion that was placed upon the Christians there. And basically they were being told that the only way you can be saved is through faith in Christ. And you had to become Jewish in the process and obey the law. 
Not to mention, 1 Timothy was written to the uh, young pastor by the Apostle Paul uh, because uh, the church in Ephesus had fallen prey to false teaching. And the first thing that Paul tells Timothy to do is he has to put a stop to the false teaching. Um, and then Jesus himself says, you know, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, who are inwardly ravenous wolves. The church has always had to face the issue of, of false teaching. Um, every generation from that time to, to now has had to contend with these kinds of issues. Every generation has become diligent and and, and make sure that they didn't fall prey to the false gospels that have popped up over time in false crea uh, Christianity. Every generation um, has had to do this, and every generation from here forward was going to have to uh, to do this. We're going to have to face false teachings until Christ comes home or comes back to make everything right for us. And and today, what we're going to what we face. Um, we face multiple false teachings in and around the church. Um, like, for instance, the prosperity gospel. I think that that's one that's pretty obvious, but still a lot of people fall for it. The prosperity gospel is this idea that, that God exists simply to make you healthy, wealthy, and happy. And if you'll just have enough faith, then you'll never get sick, and you'll always have the money, and you'll have the Maserati, and you'll have the big house. If you'll just believe in Jesus, that the point of having a relationship with God is for God to prosper you financially and materially. We know for a fact that that is not the gospel. It is a false gospel. It is the prosperity um, gospel. Then you have also false teachings like sinless perfectionism. There's This is actually making its rounds right now, and there are a lot of people who fall prey to it, especially because there are a lot of YouTube you know, uh, theologians and preachers who, who promote this, this idea that now when I have a, once I have faith in Christ, I no longer have a sin nature, and I never sin anymore. I'm, I can be perfect. I don't ever sin. Right. And again, that just stands contrary to all of Scripture itself um, and, and the witness of our own lives. Right. Even John says if, if someone says he doesn't have sin, he's a liar. Um, and then there's other ones, too, like the New Apostolic Reformation is this, you know, you know, conglomeration of, you know, hyper um, uh, hyper charismatic uh, people who have come together to, to basically believe that they are new apostles. Right, commissioned by God, like the Apostle Paul and Peter, and they're they're receiving direct revelation from God, new revelation that's not in the Scriptures itself, and 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 these false teachings have really impacted the church in in the 20th century, in the 21st century, and and many people have fallen for these particular types of these brands of false uh, theology because many people just simply don't know the Bible. A lot of people just don't know the Bible or they don't know their foundational truths of their of their church. They don't understand what it is that they're actually supposed to be believing. But for those who do have a strong uh, Bible-believing church, who belong to a Bible-believing church and, and who hold on to an orthodox confession of faith and who really you know, have a good handle on what they believe and why they believe it and really know the Bible, those people typically will reject false teachings because the scriptures make these things so very, very clear to us. But but there is something that we do need to understand. False teachings are dangerous, not only because they're false, but they're they're dangerous because they so often mimic the truth, right? Um uh, in fact, notice what Paul says. He says, now the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith. 
And when Paul says some will depart from the faith, what he's telling us is these are people who were supposedly in the faith, people who were in church, people who appeared to be Christians, people who seemed to have a robust faith in Christ. They appear to be strong believers, but people who seem to have you know, an orthodox understanding of Christ in their faith. But Paul says that they will depart from the faith, that they will actually be drawn away or fall away. And the word that's used here actually is the word we get apostate. But understand, he isn't saying that they simply leave the church, right? In fact, a lot of us will read this and say, okay, there's going to be a great falling away and people are not going to be coming to church anymore, right? This is not people falling away from the church altogether or becoming an atheist or, or becoming the opposite, which is a Satanist. Uh, he says that they will fall away into some type of false teaching. Notice it says, now the Spirit expressly says in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of, of demons. You see, it's not falling away into to a blatantly false religion like Hinduism or Buddhism or, or Islam, or even just falling away into unbelief like atheism. They're going to be falling away toward a false teaching, a false Christianity, a, um, a, a mimic of the faith. It says it devotes themselves, right? They, they commit themselves to a faith, and it says and to deceitful spirits uh, and teachings of demons. You see, they completely buy into a false gospel and a false version of the Christian faith. Now, why would they do that? Why would somebody leave the faith to pursue a false faith? It's because the lie that they're being told is so convincing. The lie appears to have an element of truth to it, and that's the whole nature of falsehood especially deceptive false teaching. It's, it's kind of like the idea of poison. When you think about you know, rat poison, what you have in rat poison is a very small percentage of poison itself, but then you have a large percentage of actual edible food. The edible food is something that they can eat and they could actually digest, but it's that tiny little bit that's the poison and the rats and the, and the mice will eat it. Why? Because it appears exactly like food. It has something about it that makes it characteristic of something that they want. And that's the idea here is that false teaching is so dangerous is because it is, it is, it is convincing. It's a lie that has the appearance of the truth. And the lie is perpetuated by false teachers. And again, notice it says, it says the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. See, the false teaching comes to the church through false teachers, right? Not apparent heretics, not apparent, you know, atheists or, or uh, Satanists, but people who appear to be real Teachers and notice it says it says it in the, the, the insincerity of a liar, and the word for insincere here can be translated as his hypocrisy, which we're familiar with. But the root idea that's conveyed by this word here is someone wearing a mask, somebody is a play actor, somebody who is is something different than they're pretending to be, right? A poser, a pretender. You see, that's the reason why false teaching seems to be so effective is because somebody's appearing to be something that they're not teaching a truth or teaching something that's not really the truth. 
False teachers are dangerous because they masquerade, right, as truth or faithful teachers. And false doctrines are dangerous because they masquerade as, as real truth. False teachings come to the church through false teachers, and it's dangerous because these false teachers are pretending to be something that they really are not. And the false, the, the falsehoods that they teach are designed to be to mimic the Christian faith. And again, as as Paul says, no, you know, uh, no wonder, for even Satan himself disguises as an angel of light in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14. The reality is his false teachers do what false teachers do because they are pretending to be something else. Now, the reason why I mentioned this, right, the reason why I took the time to set this up is because sometimes false teaching can be really, really hard to spot, and it can really fool a lot of people. In fact, there's a lot of little falsehoods that have perpetuated Christianity. Um, uh, and and it's really easy to get caught up in those things and get sidetracked. And I mention this because there is today a false teaching, a false doctrine that has infiltrated the church uh, that many people, right, many people that are well-meaning are actually falling for. It's a false teaching that actually went public uh, in the church back in 2018. In 2018, there was a conference um, where this false teaching that had been kind of brewing under the surface, kind of unseen, kind of popped out publicly, and it caught a lot of people off guard. A lot of theologians, a lot of pastors were caught off guard because it made its way, and, and it affected you know many conservative gospel-centered seminaries, and many gospel-centered and, and conservative evangelical churches ha had really bought into this false teaching. And again, it really caught everybody by surprise because no one really saw it coming. And suddenly many church leaders who were now, who at one time close friends and peers and people who respected each other, found themselves bitterly, and I mean bitterly divided with one another over this false teaching. Because this false teaching was threatening the unity of the church, and it was actually threatening the gospel itself. And, and those who, who were caught up in this false teaching, those who had bought into this and really embraced it, were blinded by its power, and they staunchly refuse to even consider that they may be wrong, and you see it today. I actually had watched this false teaching wreak havoc in churches and in the Southern Baptist Convention, and even in organizations like the Gospel Coalition, a once respected bastion of, of truth. But now false teachers and false teaching is everywhere. This false teaching especially is everywhere, and it's in our schools. Now, I'm not saying that all churches have bought into this, but I'm saying that a lot have, but this false teaching now has moved out of the church and it's in places that, that people are starting to see now, like, like schools. This false ideology is made its way into the military. It's in the government and it's, and it's being even embraced by major corporations right now. And it's right now a weapon that's being used on the American people in order to divide us into different categories and groups. It's a false teaching of, of critical race theory. I'm sure you've heard of that at least once recently. Critical race theory is something that you've probably heard about, and and uh, and you've probably noticed that that there are people of of all generations and all ethnicities and races who are speaking out against this and standing up and fighting back against this. And the reason for that is this is a lie. It's a lie from the pit of hell. Because because what it because what it's meant to do, it's meant to divide us. 
That's the whole point of all critical theory, especially critical race theory. It's meant to divide us and help us to basically self-destroy our American culture. Well, what is then this false ideology, this false teaching of critical race theory? Well, it's it's a really big subject, and there's a lot to this, and I'll probably be talking about more, more about this in the coming weeks to kind of unpack this and let you know um, – really what the what the tenants are but let me just briefly unpack kind of like the the outline for you so you kind of get a handle on this critical race theory is really an application of the marxist or communist doctrine of critical theory so critical race theory basically is an extension of the marxist framework for understanding the world of called critical theory. And it's been used to create division in many ways, in, including, you know, critical queer theory. That's what they call that. Uh, critical critical uh, gender theory. You have critical feminist theory. And these are all theories that are centered around a central communistic idea that basically divide people up into groups and plays on identity, on, on, on identity politics. And the idea is simply this. The world is broken down into two essential groups. In all circumstances, it's broken down in two groups. You have basically those who are the oppressors. That's one group. And then you have those who are the bigger group, which is the oppressed. And the oppressed, you know, under this understanding of theory, need to be able to rise up right? And they need to be able to then create a revolution to put down the oppressors, to be able to take over power. That's the whole point. And the way that this was used in, in communism, especially in, in the Soviet Union and China, is the idea that the rich, the people who have money, the capitalists, are the oppressors and the poor are the oppressed. By the way, we're seeing that very ideology being perpetuated in our culture again today, right? But it's the idea that, that the rich are the oppressors and the poor are the oppressed. And in Russia, they had a revolution where the poor rose up against the rich and they ended up creating a communist state, but also creating all kinds of civil rights violations. Millions and millions of people were killed. Freedom of speech was destroyed. Freedom of religion was destroyed. Private property was destroyed. Millions of people were thrown into gulags once the communist state was, was created. That's what where critical theory is from. And, and with respect to critical race theory, then, it's the same concept of oppressor and oppressed, but instead of economics, you put in the idea of race. And the idea then becomes that there are groups of people who then are oppressors and there are other ones who are oppressed. And in our country, the way this applies, then, if you are white, then you are automatically, by default, the oppressor. And if you're people of color, then you are, by definition, the, the, the oppressed. And it doesn't matter then because it's group identity. It doesn't matter what individuals do. It's all about the group. It doesn't matter if you're somebody who doesn't actually have racist tendencies. If you are in that group, then that's what you're assigned. And, and what we get from critical theory, what we get from that then in our world today, what it presents itself as, and as you're starting to hear over and over again, is just these tenets that they take for granted. They're unproven you know, uh, tenants, they're unproven um, uh, conclusions, but they just speak them out like they're just the gospel truth. Like all white people are just inherently racist. That is just, you'll hear it over and over again. You're just inherently racist because you're white. You don't even know that you're racist. You're just white, 
right? And then it says that if you're not, if you say, if you happen to be someone that defends yourself, so wait a minute, I am not a racist. You don't know anything about me, right? You don't know anything about where I've come from or what I've done, right? I'm not a racist. They will say that's just a sign of your white fragility and proof that you were really kind of like secretly and quietly racist. In fact, the way that they shut down the conversation is any type of rebuttal is automatically deemed as racist. The other thing that you hear all the time is that all people then are born with some type of white privilege. Somehow, some way, they have, because they are white, more advantages than people of color, which, by the way, flies in the face of what actually happens in our country in a lot of different respects. I don't have time to unpack all that, but maybe we get to that later. And then our culture is, is basically says our culture is systematically racist, which means it is designed to oppress people of color, that the system itself, from the laws to the way that that, that commerce works to to uh, educational institutions that everything about our American experience is is racist. Now, on the other side of that, then uh, critical race theory says that people of color cannot be racist, even if they hate you and they say that they hate you and they, they don't want anything to do with you. And even if they act racist, they can be prejudiced, but they can't be racist. That's that's what critical race theory says. And then critical race theory, you know, um, actually gives uh, basically gives uh, excuse for for that kind of behavior. In fact, uh, violent acts of violence and hateful words are excused um, simply because they're just fighting back against their oppressors. And then to make it all worse, to make this worse than that, is that once you really understand critical race theory, you find out that it's really impossible to have reconciliation between these groups. They can never overcome the inherent racism in one group, and the other one can never, ever fully and totally forgive the, the other group. Right. Now, here's why this false teaching has become so effective in our culture, and especially in the church. You see, we as Americans, but especially as Christians, by our nature, we want justice. We expect for justice to be done. We desire justice to be done. We want people to be treated fairly. We want people to be treated equitably. And, and as Christians, we care about other people. And we certainly want to, to do what is right. And Christians, by our default, hate racism. And we ought to, because racism is a horrible sin. To hate somebody for the color of their skin is a deplorable, hateful sin. And it's a stain in our country's history, to be sure. And so Christians who sincerely want to be reconciled with all other Christians, they fall prey to this because of good intentions. They sincerely want justice and racism to come to an end. But the problem is this false teaching distorts the gospel. Because the Bible tells us that, the, that by faith in Christ, we're not only reconciled to God, by faith, we are reconciled to one another. In fact, by faith in Christ, we are made members of God's family. We become immediately brothers and sisters in Christ. We are immediately reconciled to one another through the faith in the gospel. We're part of the same family. But critical race theory says that people of color don't have to walk in forgiveness as that we're called to do. And, that, and they're excused from their bitterness and their hatred towards other people. While white people are, are, are to repent continually of their privilege and of their inherent racism, even if they aren't racist, and they're to repent of their ancestors' actions, even if they don't even know what they are, and, and, and in the end, 
There's not any real reconciliation because there's never enough forgiveness to overcome. One group is just continually doing penance to another. All this serves to do is to divide the church and create hostilities and divide our nation as a whole. And that's what we're seeing now. That's why so many people are passionate about it. That's why you're hearing people speak out about it at school board meetings, as schools are seeking to adopt this framework. The root of this theory actually is not even race or ethnicity. The root of this theory is a false gospel. Those who have fallen for this have lost sight of Christ and the gospel. They have fallen for the lie that being that is being perpetuated by those liars with seared consciences. So what do we do? And again, there's a lot more to talk about on this. I want you to know, I, I realize this was a just a brief kind of summary about it. But what do we do? How do we, as Christians, stand up for the truth? Now more than more than ever, we need people to stand up for the truth. How do we do that? Well, we do that by being people of the book, by knowing the word of God and being connected with a strong church that has a high view of scripture and a high view of God. And we need to keep our eyes on Christ and the gospel. You see, false teaching enters in when we begin to lose sight of the centrality of our lives and the centrality of our Christian faith and our centrality of our our identity and the centrality of our unity. And that is all based on the life, death, and finished work on the cross of Jesus Christ. That is the gospel message. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and that is it. And then by the power of the Holy Spirit, we're being made into something new, made into the image of Christ. Now, does that mean that that racism doesn't exist in the world? No, it does exist. And I've seen it firsthand in my own in my own experience. I hate it. I deplore it. Right? The fact of the matter is it does exist, as with lots of other sins. But what I am saying is this is we're not going to put an end to one sin by perpetuating another sin. The way we're going to have reconciliation with one another in this country is for all of us to get on our faces before the Lord and repent and believe the gospel and then love our brothers and sisters in Christ the way that Christ loved us. doesn't mean that we have to agree about everything politically. It doesn't mean we have to see everything exactly the same way as we talked about this last Sunday um, in our church, that we have unity in our church on the essentials of our faith, that there are differing perspectives on a number of things, particularly the end times. There are differing perspectives on those things, and we have unity, close fellowship around the essentials. And that's what we need to have in the American church, but we need to stay focused on the gospel and not get drawn away by worldly, vain philosophies, especially Marxist philosophies that are antithetical to the gospel itself. And so with that being said, I really just uh, hope that um, I hope that we can turn our eyes toward Jesus. In fact, that's one of my favorite songs, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Right. In fact, the, the second verse is one that gets me the most. And I talked about it on Sunday. Turn your eyes to the hillside where justice and mercy embrace. There, the son of God gave his life for us and our measureless debt was repaid. That is all. That is all 
that we have. That is the hope that we have in the world around us. That is it. And so with that being said, I just want to encourage you to know the gospel, to understand the gospel and make it the center of your life. And then as your mind and heart gets drawn away into other things like politics and these kinds of theories, we remind ourselves, right? We are primarily citizens of heaven, right? And that we then profess openly that if you are a Christian, you are my brother and sister in Christ, and we need to be reconciled to one another, that we need to be forgiving of one another, gracious towards one another, and certainly serving one another. So that being said, let me just give you a couple updates on a, a few things. Sunday morning, as always, is where um, is where we are gathering together. Uh, I praise the Lord. We've been we, we've been open uh, over a year now. If it's been a year, last Mother's Day, uh, we were closed for about six weeks, and that's that's it. We have decided to be faithful and remain open and praise the Lord. Um, we I praise the Lord that 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 God has protected our church family through all of this. And, uh, and our church family has been able to stay together during this, but we are together here at uh, 11 o'clock for worship, but get here a little bit early at 10 30. And then we will have coffee together and uh, little treats and things like that. Um, and then I also want to remind you that, uh, on the, um, the 22nd of August is our 83rd church anniversary. First Baptist church has been here since 1938. What a glorious, glorious uh, history that we have. Um, it's just a wonderful, it's wonderful to be a part of a church that has such a long legacy of, of the gospel being preached in this community. And uh, it'll be an opportunity for us to celebrate together. We will have uh, a worship service, but we also have a special treat for us afterwards. Uh, I think uh, the, I think uh, the deacons are preparing a um, a lunch for us afterwards, and we'll talk more about that on Sunday morning. Um, so we'd certainly love to have you here and join us uh, live and in person. Uh, we'd love to have uh, to have fellowship with you afterwards as well. So that is uh, August the twenty second, that Sunday, um, and then. Also want to let you know, you can support us here at First Baptist Church, um, uh, and we we need your support. I mean, we're just in a season right now where um, we've been through a lot, and uh, uh, we at a at a place right now where we can use your financial support. And you can support us uh, either by mailing a check to First Baptist Church and uh, sending it to one two two five five Boron Avenue, Boron California nine three five one six, or you can go to our our website fbcboron.org. Um, and at the bottom of every page, there's a, a link that uh, a big red button that says push pay. Click that link, and then you can actually be taken to a website where you can give electronically, safely, um, and you can do so within your major credit card or even a, a checking account. And we'd certainly appreciate that. All of your support, obviously, is tax deductible because it goes to support the work we do here to uh, spread the gospel in our community and around the world. Anyway, just want you to know that you were loved, you were prayed for. And we look forward to seeing you soon. Grace and peace. God bless you. You've been listening to Grace and Truth with Pastor Sherman Burkhead, a ministry of First Baptist Church in Boron, California. Our website address is fbcboron.org. And would you consider partnering with us as we share the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ with our community and our world?